I'm Audrey Bellis. And I'm Yvette Montoya. And you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon and Español. We tell stories about femme leaders and activists of color, making our world a better place. Let's get started. So we're here today with Jessica Resendez from Raggedy Tiff. Yeah. I really love those uh, little Frida heads. Oh, I love the Frida heads. And the roses and like a lot of Mexican imagery. I'm like really feeling that right now. I had a unibrow like Frida when I was a little girl. Oh my God. (laughs) I did. Remember the little girl from Hey Arnold? And she was, she had a funny face like that football. No, that was the Rugrats. Arnold. Yeah, the The girl with. She oh. didn't have a football head. Okay. Arnold had the football head. I thought Angelica was from uh, the Rugrats. Yeah. No, Helga. Helga. Okay. Well, the chick with the unibrow from Hey Arnold was like me. And I was so pale. And I used to have this really jet black unibrow. And they used to call me Snow White. But with the unibrow. And all I ever <laughs> wanted to do was like wax my eyebrows and shave them like a chola. Because all my friends shaved off their eyebrows. And my mom wouldn't let me. She used to tell me that if Robert Shapiro and Brooke Shields had a child, it would be my eyebrows. And she used to say that all proud. How's and I Robert just, Shapiro. The attorney from OJ? Did you not grow up? Do you remember OJ? Robert Shapiro? I remember OJ. I don't remember Did, eyebrows of a man who represented He them. had the, the biggest, bushiest Jewish eyebrows of life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyways, so I really wanted to shave them. My mom wouldn't let me. She wouldn't even let me pluck the middle. So well, I had good, these bangs. that's good because you have a ton of eyebrows now. And I don't have any because I did pluck mine. Well, and they never grew back. Yeah. I didn't realize that eyebrows were going to come back in style. So thanks to my Neither mom. Neither did I. Thanks to my mom <laughs> and the Frida imagery. But since we're talking about her, we should probably introduce her. Jessica, welcome to the show. Gracias. Thanks Thanks for having me. Oh, we're so pleasure. We are so excited to have you. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what Raggedy Tiff is, and how you got into this. Well, my name is Jessica Resendiz. I was born in Querétaro, Mexico at a small little ranchito. My mom and I immigrated from Mexico when I was only eight, seven months and she was only 17 years old. Oh, wow. wow. It's completely a a long story, but we're here. As far as I can remember, I started designing since I was a little, little girl and it all started uh, by cutting off and revamping my clothing. So that's where it all started. So you design your own stuff. You also have accessories. You have apparel. You're expanding into a formal gown line. Yeah, I'm excited. I, it all started with hair pieces when okay. I was in college. I started with hair pieces and accessories. And then... Like what kind of hair pieces? Like big flowers and um. stuff that I still do now. It's just a little more, um, a, a little different. And I'm a little more uh, sparklier and... Yeah, I, I like the sparkly. Yeah. And I mean, it's always been me. I've been always been having this since I was a, I was a small little girl, like... I remember people would always like look at me in school like, what is she wearing? Or why is her clothing different from ours or stuff like yeah. that. So um, I think that's where it grew in me by standing out and being different. And of course, me being Mexicana, yep. embracing that. That takes some courage to be different in high school. It didn't really hit me until probably junior in high school. Yeah. I was a junior. I remember wearing, I don't know if you guys know what rebosos are. Yes. They're like, yeah, it's like a shawl. It's like yeah, a wrap. Yeah. Yeah. And now they're, you know, in there's style. a lot of people. Yeah. So I remember going to Mexico for summers and my grandma would always like, here, take it. So you remember, paquete acuerdas de mi. So you can remember. Oh my God. And nice. I, I would wear it to school. I have that my grandma gave me. Yeah. I have a mantellina that my grandma gave me too that I wore to mass. Yeah. Um, I love Linda Ronstadt. 
Mm-hmm. And when she did Canciones de Mi Padre, I remember she used to have uh, one of the songs. It has that line. I think it's Tata Dios. And she's like, Ponme mi vestido blanco y tapame con tu rebozo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. I'm having a moment. Yeah. And it's just one of those, like, she gave it to me so that I could keep it. And, and I still have it. And I remember going to school not having a scarf. It was like one of those rainy days. And I remember I was wearing it and people would just look at me like, what is it? Like, you know, the, the textiles look different yes. from a regular scarf. Where did you go to school? I went to, I was raised in San Diego. So that was most of my childhood. I was in San Diego, northern of San Diego. Nice. There's a lot of white people in that area. and Like La Jolla-ish area? Like more north. Extra white? Yeah, like yeah. Oceanside and Carlsbad. Oh, yeah. Oh. That's like military and white. Yeah. Yeah. It, but I, you know what? I it, I didn't care. I, I, I it yeah. never really like bothered me. I and was San just Diego's like, beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. absolutely beautiful. It's much cleaner than LA, but still like big city just by the ocean. I always thought going to San Diego that because of their proximity to Mexico, that the gabachos who live there would be a little bit more in tune. Like my dad? Yeah. <laughs> they would be a little bit more in tune with like the Mexican culture right. and like everything that you know, we're about and do, and they're really not. No, I mean, the only thing that I remember is like them liking Mexican food. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, that's that's it. They Who love carne like? asada fries and yeah. they love going and getting burritos. Going to the bars. And, yeah, yeah, getting tacos. Yeah. They're super good. Yeah, but who doesn't love Mexican food? I, I think if you don't love Mexicans, you don't deserve Mexican food. <laughs> Ouch. Not Cutting even. people. <laughs> that throwing yeah. them bows. I got to because that makes me really mad. Like you don't get to vote for Donald Trump and then be like, I'm going to go get some burritos. Like, no. You burritos don't deserve, are an American you don't invention. <laughs> burritos? But that's considered Mexican food. It like is. they don't even eat like huarachen, tortas. Like that's, that's, that's what they yeah. get from us. Or nopales. They nopales. don't know I love nopales. They don't know nothing about nopales. Oh, my gosh. I was just talking to somebody about this. I like when the nopales are extra slimy. Ooh, those, those are, are my favorite. You know what my mom calls them? They, what? She calls them babositos. Oh, yeah, no. because like, they have the little yeah, baba. Yeah. That's right. She's like, the more babosos, the better. And with uh, chile rojo, con mm. papas and eggs. Oh. Speaking of Baba, I was I told this to somebody else. We were talking about thirsty people and fake love by Drake is my anthem right now <laughs> because I'm feeling like fake like, loved, fake loved, literally, <laughs> literally. Don't show up to me telling me how proud you are of me and then try to steal my stuff. And I was saying something. I, I said something about somebody being extra thirsty, and they were like, "Ay, tienen mucho sed, like they're thirsty." And I was like, "No, tienen mucha baba. Se le está colgando." <laughs> That's saliva for our friends that don't speak Spanish. Yeah, yeah. you're baba. You're drooling. <laughs> also, babosos are snails. And dumb people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's so many yeah. <laughs> There's so many different words. When someone says baboso, I don't go to like someone who's babaing on themselves. I think of snails and then I'm like, mm. Oh, I think wow. that like when my mom gets mad at me, she's like, babosa. No, says babosa, yeah. Yeah. Like that. Like, in don't South, be dumb. In yeah. South America, that's like more of an insult. So people don't say that. But then they also call each other like pendejos more. Like it's not. As, I use that a lot. It's not as big as an insult because I remember calling a Mexican person that and they were like, would not talk to me after that. Because I didn't understand. I was like, it's not that it's not that big a deal. I feel like calling somebody like a chunt is the worst derogatory term. <laughs> I have a friend who's from I Mexico. I have a friend whose name was Chunty George. Like that's <gasps> what we called him. Yeah, Chuntaro. <laughs> or like some people say like, oh te miras muy chunty or like 
kind of like, man, I was trying so hard to be chunti in my youth. That's all I ever wanted. Me and my boots and my banda. People wanted me to be chunti, like, or they assumed that I was because I was brown, but I wasn't at all. So it was kind of like the weird, I'm like, this is your expectation of me, but that I'm not that thing. Did you ever really encounter that? Did you go to like a super white high school? Yes. So when I was in sixth grade, I went to a different middle school. So all of my friends were, were all Mexican. Yeah. Most of us were Mexican. And then around, I think towards the end of sixth grade, I moved to a different city, not city, but more northern of San Diego. And I remember going to this new school and everybody was mostly white. And I felt just so different. But you know what? Like, Although me feeling different and being Spanish, my first language, I everybody was very friendly. Like mm-hmm. they wanted to be my friend. I ended up having a best friend who was Asian. A lot of um, white people were being just really nice. So I got along with them. Although, you know, I had my friends who were Mexican. So it's a little bit of everything. But I didn't, I didn't really deal with a lot of negativity. Or like discrimination? No. And and, and it's funny because I was just talking to my fiance about it. Like I didn't deal with that until like, I don't know, like just recently. It's been very uncomfortable. Growing up in San Diego, being around with a lot of white people and I didn't see any discrimination. I didn't, they never made fun of me like, oh, I don't want to hang out with you because you're Mexican or you're brown or you don't really speak good English and stuff like that. Like I never dealt with that. Until now, it's um, I just turned 30. Girl. And <laughs> I, me too. What, yeah. what did you experience like recently? Well, with everything that's going on under um, Trump Nation. Yeah. I think it's been more heartbreaking dealing like when it first began everything. I live in the Sherman Oaks area. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of white people there too. Yeah, girls, just, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but I felt like I started like seeing them more. And then it was just very yeah. more uncomfortable going to like our local cafes or restaurants. And I felt like I wasn't wanted there. And mm-hmm. it felt very uncomfortable. And even my daughter would just say like, mom, um, she has Instagram where it's very private. Like I, I, I run it and <laughs> she has to go with me first to see, like she has to make sure it's like, mom, can I post this picture? And I will right. say, yes, I'll prove it. But there was this one little girl who she's been friends with since first grade. And this was just this year. And she's like, Mom, I wanted to show you something. And she showed me something that was very negative towards people of color. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my goodness. It's like okay to be racist now, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And even like. Because you're taking a stand, apparently. Like, it's your opinion. Mm -hmm. So it's like even going to our local cafes, it's like. They're looking at us. I feel like I don't belong there, but I've been coming here for the last three, four years. And really what you're talking about is otherness, right? Yeah. We're, now, we're now other. And I think one of the disappointing things in that, that's actually why we started this podcast, was a response to the inauguration and the women's marches. We also felt the same way that we didn't want to live in a world where we were observers or passerbys in our own experience. Mm -hmm. We were going to take a stand for ourselves and for the women in our community. And we wanted to amplify the voices. One of the lovely things that we saw from the march was how many women's voices that we heard from that we'd never heard from before, rising up, telling their stories, telling about their impact. And we said, I want to 
see this in the media. I want to see girls that are like us. I want to see brown girls. Here's what happens for us, at least. We see a lot of white girl feminism. Think girls, HBO, Lena Dunham. And then we see black girl magic. And Mm -hmm. what about everything in between? And we blend with this everything in between, right? Right. I'm mixed. I'm half white. I'm Mexican. Yvette's of mixed Latina heritage, our Afro-Latinas, everything else. How can we be a little bit more encompassing, be diverse and inclusive for our audience? And and still specific. And specific. But also, again, elevating the stories of feminist positive action because it is uncomfortable. And I think we need to address that and we need to bear witness to that and say, I'm being made to feel uncomfortable and that's not okay. I can't imagine what that's like raising children. Uh, We don't have kids in that experience. How has that changed your view of feminism and how you take action raising a daughter in this current environment? My daughter's name is Tiffany. Mm-hmm. That's why it's named after my brand is oh. Tiffany. Because oh. I'm hoping one day she'll take over. I love um, it. And she kind of made it up. So I don't want her to stick with that. Um, but it, I always tell her, we're like best friends. We need to mm-hmm. tell each other, you know, how you're feeling and, and, and our feelings. When that happened, I, I, I just paused. I was just like, okay, well, just give me that phone and we'll talk about it. And just tell her that there's a lot going on right now, and um, we have a we have a president. So we're just gonna have to live with it for these next couple years, and we're gonna be fine. And I just tell her continue to do what you're doing in school, like keep keep rising, make yeah. a difference. I, I I have a huge thing for women making a difference. I feel like every individual or anybody in the world is capable to do something inspiring to make us proud. That's why we have rising in the name. It's not enough to hear stories about action. We want to hear about elevated action. Mm -hmm. It's, It's too easy to take a platform that is bashing and negative. I'm tired of the negativity. I'm so sick of opening social media and seeing nothing but negative hate. This is not the platform for that. We want to hear bad news. (laughs) Oh my God. I I can't even with Facebook anymore. I don't, we don't have it in the office during the day. And Audrey asked me the other day, she's like, did you see this on Facebook? I was like, I haven't been on Facebook in forever because I just can't. It's just constant bad news. It's constant. It's just, yeah, it's gotten really, really negative. And I run the Brown Girls Rising Instagram. And I feel like I take that place to kind of like sit, bring awareness to things and give my opinion about things, but also to lighten the mood or say Inspire, funny things. Yeah. Like there's, yeah. a, there's a lot of really shitty things that happen in the world, but like there's also a lot of good things that are coming out of it. Yeah, we're going to be fine. I feel like us coming together, having each other's back and really like rising each other. Yeah. We are. And you're right. The way that we're going to be okay is by taking the action that we do, each of us doing our part, helping other people do theirs by elevating our communities. And through the message that our feminist platforms have and yours, in fact, I am looking at a signed and numbered print right now with the most beautiful fist and nails. And it says, <laughs> Arriba las mujeres. Arriba. And I Arriba. love Arriba. that. I, I, I. <laughs> I can't do, I can't do the, the call. The, I can't do the, uh, I can't do the, your, chir- the grito. grito. <laughs> do you have a grito? <laughs> I can't do it. Like, I can't do it. <laughs> no, 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 that's not it. It's, it's like guttural. I can't no, do it's it. Like, <clears throat> it comes from within your soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I can't. I can't even try because now I'm just going to embarrass myself. <laughs> but this is a feminist stance. This is the way that we get through it. How has your art transitioned in this experience through your feminism involving becoming a mom? And, and I love that it's so proud and Chicana. Yeah, a lot of people ask me questions, especially now family and a lot of people from my high school. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, oh my goodness, like you make all these things that my grandma or my mother would wear. Some of my friends don't wear this stuff, but just recently started like, oh, I feel like it's okay. I've always been okay with it since I was little. <laughs> yeah, but it, I think you're right. I think there's a larger celebration of it now because we're sitting here going like brown and proud. Mm-hmm. Like we come have at to me. Be proud, proud at this point. It's like, like if you you're either like staying quiet and just kind of like passively letting this stuff happen, or you're like, you know what? Like you don't get to demonize me and expressing that in your clothes is another way that you can do it. Right. Um, I'm just like a proud Mexicana and doing how do my you thing. And- choose your imagery. Well, when I thought about this, at first I thought about my daughter. I was like, well, this is going to be, this is something for her. And for, all, I mean, all, all the mujeres in the world. I don't know if you could see on the shapes of the hand, but it's supposed to be different shades of brown. Yes. And it, yes. you can barely see of the printing, but that's what we wanted to incorporate. And I mean, of course, the, the red nail polish, you know, and, yep. and the rosas. So it's like force of a woman with different shades. Yeah. So. I love that. And my daughter wears the shirt very proudly. <laughs> she loves it. She was even my little model just recently. That's cute. I think I saw that. Was it yeah. on your Instagram? Yeah, for the kids the kids' yeah. shirt. Yeah. That's cute. So who are you making this clothes for? Like, who are you trying to reach and what kind of a message are you trying to send? This is for all the, the mujeres who are proud of their culture. I mean... When I first started this brand, I wanted to I wanted to design something that represented my culture, my traditions, my roots, my familia. But I in the beginning when I was first starting my my brand, I didn't really know how to show it to the world. Right. So little by little I started making virgencitas because I'm Catholic. I mean, not it's not for everyone, but a lot of people relate to that. Yeah. And um rosas, rosas make me very happy for I mean, I don't know, just like quinceañeras, bodas. And um, a lot of the stuff that I design now, like Frida Kahlo, Dia de los Muertos, Mm. all that stuff, or Selena, Mm -hmm. it's all because how I grew up. I grew up to Selena. I grew up to Frida Kahlo. Same. Celebrating Dia de los Muertos. So all that I combined it. You got to celebrate Dia de los Muertos? Yeah, when I was, that's how we grew up Man, in, in Mexico. We're Mexican, we're Mexican on my mom's side, and we never get to do that. And I remember asking my mom that, like, why didn't we do that? And she was always like, I mean, how we're not that Mexican. And I hated <laughs> that because I was like, I don't want to do it. I want my marigolds. I never did it altar. growing up, but I do it now. Yeah. And I do, such my, a, I do a big altar in the front of my house. And it's so it's such a beautiful celebration. It's so beautiful. So, um, I mean, just. Oh, I'm obsessed with calaveras. Calacas and, oh. and, and the vibrant colors. And yep. I mean, like Yvette said that now she does her altars. And yeah. I mean, when I was growing up, it was just like the corner of the kitchen table with some fruits and tamales and yeah. champurrado and the picture and the candle and marigolds and that's it. But now everybody's like going all off. And I love that because yeah. you get to use your creativity and your traditions and uh, yeah. Grand Park here in LA every year does a festival for Dia de los Muertos where you can decorate your own altar yes. and it is so beautiful. Yeah. I really um, enjoyed the 
the tradition of it and also just like what it represents for your family. Yeah. And like for a loved one. Giving it up to the antepasados. Yeah. And I love that I love that we have that shared celebration. I mean, we grew up on Selena. It was just what, her twentieth? Twenty second. Twenty second anniversary. Anniversary. And her birthday's coming up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Tomorrow. That is insane. I can't believe that. I remember being a little girl. I was second grade, I think. When we I was eight. Yeah, so second grade. Yeah. I remember when that I remember when that happened. I remember we had the RIP shirts at school. My friend Kathy out of school. Oh, her mom they, bought them for us. Nobody at my school knew who she was. Oh, that's sad. Where but did you I, go to school? I went to school in Redlands. Oh, okay, okay. And I went so to school in Paramount where it was It Mexican. was I remember sitting I wrote about this. I did a drawing for Brown Girls Rising for that day. Oh, that was so mm-hmm. good. I remember I was sitting on my grandma's bed because, you know, it happened at night. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we were watching a novella. I don't remember which one, but it interrupted the novella. And it was breaking like news. You know, breaking news. And then you could see her being wheeled and put yeah. into the ambulance and drove driving away. And then there was that whole standoff with Yolanda. Hashtag no more Yolandas. Yeah. Oh, in her car, her, sh- yeah. her truck. Yeah. And they were like filming it and they were trying to talk her down because she was going to shoot herself. And then like they were like, we don't know if she's going to make it. And then, you know, the next thing you hear is that she's gone. And then the whole world was really sad for a while. Well, I think it was so importantly heavy um, in that. I mean, we all just, you guys just heard it. We all just had this big audible sigh, all three of us. We haven't had a Mexican icon like that. And the reason that she resonates with us as millennials now, I think we we look at ourselves and we're like, she's a first generation child or has parents, you know, immigrated young. She looked like us. She looked like us. Yeah. Her Spanish was not as good like ours. In fact, she barely spoke Spanish. And how many of us have friends or ourselves where our Spanish is limited or Mm -hmm. mine, which is referred to as like super pocha. And she was an amazing crossover artist that bridged so many gaps. And who have we really had since then that has bridged such gaps that was accessible to so many people? Jenny Rivera. Right? No. RIP. But she was polarizing. Yeah. She was heavily polarizing to audiences. I never really got, I knew who, of her, but I never really got into her the oh, same way. I was way. super into Banda because I was obsessed with Lupio Rivera. <laughs> but I think it was Kendra was asking me the other day, Kendra, our community manager. She was like, why? She's like, she's from Michigan. She was like, I had never heard of Selena until I came to California. Like, why are you guys so into Selena? And I was she's like, She's also not Latina. She's also not Latina, mm-hmm. but. I feel like she's become mainstream to the point where everybody kind of knows who she is now. But I was telling her, I'm like, you don't understand. Like, back then, that wasn't heard of. She crossed the market. She was coming into English. Like, she had a, a clothing line. Like, she was in commercials. Like, she was on talk shows. Like, that was unheard of. She was of. our Latina Beyonce. Because then Beyonce mm-hmm. came and did yeah. the same thing. She was crossover. She had her own house at Darion with her mom, right? Right. That our original version of that was Selena. In fact, I listened this morning. We were talking about this when we got here. I had gotten hyped up. My eyebrows, depending on how strong they're drawn on in the morning, depends on my playlist. And usually it's Beyonce. But today was Selena's disco melody from the Houston Astrodome concert right before she died that was her last concert right Whoa. no that oh, was so radio. off key i'm such a bad singer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> take that out <laughs> please take that out please don't <laughs> <laughs> like yeah 
so But I bad. love that about her, right? I love that. And I love that. And she did throwbacks and she did cumbia. Like, she did yeah. everything. She did, yeah. like, from mariachi to cumbia to techno. disco. Like, who does that? Yeah. Well, I want to bring up the mariachi because I'm over here, proud mariacha. <laughs> Yvette's laughing at me. <laughs> no, yesterday our conversation. <laughs> I got, I'm not even going to say Yvette it. didn't know that I had played the violin for over 15 years. She had no idea. And when I was a little girl, I'm going to try not to cry. My mom took me to see Linda Ronstadt. And that was my very first concert when she came out with Canciones de Mi Padre. And Linda Ronstadt didn't speak Spanish either. Mm. And Canciones de Mi Padre were, they were rancheras and mariachi songs. And she did the mariachi with Jose from Sol de Mexico with Mm -hmm. his mariachi at that concert, I remember my mom has photos of this. She got us front row, or excuse me, not front row, third row center. And we were sitting behind James Edward, James Edward, Edward the yeah. director yes. slash actor. So he was sitting in front of us. My mom has pictures of us together. And every year since then, at Christmas time, my mom takes us to see a mariachi Christmas at the Cerritos Performing Arts Center. And it's um, Jose Hernandez, Sol de Mexico. And they do the Christmas songs with the mariachi. And my mom and I have done that for 25 years. Wow. Every year we go. And she, my, I'm from a mixed family. My mom's mm-hmm. Mexican. My dad is an Italian Jew. And my mom, because the concert happens before Christmas, she gives me the tickets for Hanukkah. And we go together. And that's the thing my mom and I do. And the cover of Linda, going back to that first one, this last year she was diagnosed with Parkinson's and she's no longer performing. So last year, the mariachi did their entire performance dedication to that first concert that they did with her. And not only is it the Canciones de Mi Padre, it was from all the songs that were from La la Época de Cinema Mexicana, which is what Mm, your dress line is inspired by. So they had all the stuff from like Lola Beltran, right? Lola Rios. All of those, right? All of the vintage stuff. And I think of those movies when I was a little girl, my grandma used to watch them. When Vicente was super young, right, with his little mustache, <laughs> singing up to the balcony. And those women, you know, you talk about the Rebosos, they used to wear theirs. And Linda has hers on the cover art for that album. And she's sitting there wearing hers with her big, long flowered dress wow. and her braids and her roses in her hair. And I think that is one of the most beautiful things. And for us, you know, my mom always said, oh, we're not that Mexican, blah, blah, blah. But music was always the thing that brought us together. And I love mariachi. Like, it's love, so love, love, love mariachi. Where I'm from in Mexico, it's kind of like mariachi, but it's musica huasteca. Oh. It's, um, they play, so there's three guys. One yep. of them plays a the little guitar, a regular guitar, and then the other guy plays the violin. And it's oh. the most beautiful music I've ever heard. I, I think you will like it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Where are you I from? I love that. Querétaro. It's a small city right next to Guanajuato. Okay. It's, it's in the middle of Mexico. My mom's family's from Nayarit. Chihuahua. Chihuahua. My dad's from Chihuahua. Yeah, it's um, it's beautiful. Okay, I'm getting emotional. Tell me about the dresses. <laughs> well, I, well, I catch feelings over here. So I have Raggedy Tiff. That's my apparel and accessories, home decor stationaries uh, stuff. I am developing a collection Con Amor collection mm. and that's uh, something that I've been having in mind for the last two years and I'm still you know working on it but my main focus on that collection is for the golden yeah. era of Mexico cinema uh, Dolores Rio, Pedro Infante, Maria oh. Feliz, 
all those beautiful women that wore these uh, unbelievable gowns. I mean, of course, I'm not going to replica that, but I'm, right. I, I'm getting inspiration from that era and I'm hoping to do a lot of beautiful gowns. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah, be so sure to remember fun. this for our Women of Worth Gala in July. Yeah. When are you going to, have you started already or? I started and I, I did have a sneak peek with. Um, I did see that. The, the little video. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really pretty. It's, it's, I'm doing the velvets, the, the, the <gasps> embellishment. The sparkly. sparkly stuff. I'm still incorporating, you know, my touch. Yeah. I still want to have that touch, but this is more of gowns and red carpet stuff and. Incredible. It'll be exciting. Oh my gosh. Whenever I think of getting dressed up and the gowns and the updo, I always picture, speaking of Selena, can we all remember her wedding her big, cake like, hair? Oh my goodness. It wasn't a beehive. It looked like a wedding cake. It had three layers of loops. It had the first one and the oh, second yeah, one yeah, and the yeah. top. And for my Tia Rosa's wedding, my my cousin's wife, Liz, we used to call her La Cuanareja. La Cuanareja did my <laughs> hair like that and I, because the video had just come out. Mm. Oh my gosh. And I died. I died. Even as an adult, I want that hairstyle. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's stunning. It looked like a wedding cake on top of her head. Everything she did was like so on point. Oh, I know. Everything. Like the high-waisted pants, the um, like the bedazzled bustiers. bustiers. Oh, her accessories. Her, yeah, her accessories, her <laughs> bangs, her like the always like red lipstick. Her, her nails. Her nails. I feel like J-Lo kind of like took off from that and oh, kind totally of became did. she I feel like she was like the Puerto Rican version well the New York Rican version of like what Selena would have become well it launched her career I mean she yeah. was already a fly girl but it literally launched and mainstreamed her career and the other thing it did you know we talk about like JLo put the butt on the map right pre-Kardashians <laughs> Selena I, put the butt on the map she put the butt on the map and her mm -hmm. butt was way bigger than JLo's it was but I think what it did do for us well that did launch JLo's career is it changed the way we look at women right like after that came out yeah. we stopped seeing a lot of the 90s waif super thin girls which are I, for me, that's what I grew up with going, I'm never going to be thin enough. My butt's always going to be. If you'd have told me when I was 11 that big eyebrows were going to come back in style and having a big, big butt was going to be a thing that other people paid for, I'd have been <laughs> like, no, you're lying. Who would have thought? That was around that 90s time, though, because I was all about J-Lo, too. Like when J-Lo took off, like she like she's the hero that we had. Yeah. <laughs> I think she was with P, P. Diddy. Yeah. Was she, she was wearing that yeah. bandana and her, her hair. Her, her in the juicy sweatsuit. Mm -hmm. Oh, girl. The two piece. And the Shanti. Like that was that. Mm -hmm. All the and like Mariah. Yeah. Me and Mariah. We go Destiny's back. Child. Like, babies yeah, and Yeah. Destiny's, Destiny's Child. TLC. All the good ones. We all we lost a lot of people. We that did. Decade. Oh, that's super sad. Super sad. But inspiration, right? They have inspired us and help us do what we do. Who's been a big inspiration for you? Person, book, thing? Like what's helped inspire you and keep you grounded and motivated? A lot of my inspiration comes from familia, traditions. Um, a lot of my friends that are incredible I mean, I can name all of them, but I don't want to say any names. <laughs> I don't want to leave anybody out, but they know who they are. But a lot of the things that I that inspired me to create is, um, of course, Frida Kahlo. Mm. Um, my summer collection is all dedicated to her. Of course, Selena. That's yep. that's 
that's one of my spring collections is Selena. So every season I have somebody. Oh. Come, I, don't, I don't know if you guys. Who else have you done or profiled? I've only done, every year is the same, just different collections. Got so it. like for spring, I did Selena. And right now I'm currently working on Frida Kahlo for summer. And then fall is my Dia de los Muertos. Mm. And then Christmas holiday is more of a, our Catholic traditions, like the Virgencita and right and the Santitos. Um, so it just goes every year is the same, but in a different. Oh, mm-hmm. so it's like thematic every year. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like it. I and like that's that. what I, that's what people know me from. Like, oh, they were, like I get a lot of people that email me or uh, message me saying like, um, do you happen to know what you're going to do for Dia de los Muertos already? And I mean, I've already had <laughs> like, it's only how many months away? I know. <laughs> I mean, I have some ideas and stuff like that, but um, it's just, it's crazy to even think how people are already like prepping for that and they're curious to see what I'm going to come up with. And that's very exciting. That is exciting. Yeah. yeah. So did you start out with like just art? Because like, you went to FITM, right? When I was going there, I remember we had to do all these projects and I remember the professors telling me, well, you're going to come up with a collection. And my collection was so different from all the girls because they wanted to do like the chic and the, you know, different stuff. And mine was very like folky and colorful and vibrant and mm-hmm. very Mexican. I think that, I don't know, I, I think like going into that school really helped me to really step up my my game and really be proud of. Like I didn't I didn't care if they were when did you start? Because this resurgence in like folk art and, you know, culture and the things that we wear and these different types of adornments, like that's pretty recent. Yeah. And and I was just talking to my fiance and we were just talking about the other day, like, oh, my God, everybody's like into like the serapes. Like now everybody's taking their serape blanket to the park or to the beach. Oh, I know. We had those. Like, I used to be embarrassed by those when I was a little girl. My mom would whip them out for parties and uh-huh. I would have friends come over because we were Mexican, like authentically Mexican, <laughs> even though my mom was like, we're not that Mexican. She would put her mocajete on it and she'd like stand there and, you know, make stuff with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, recently, just like Yvette said, I've just maybe the last year or so, I've been seeing a lot of um, people Oh, they're like they're wearing their embroidery T-shirts, which I'm obsessed with embroidery. I can't I get enough beautiful. of it. I okay. cannot get enough of it. I have one that I've been saving. Speaking of things that were brought back for me from Mexico, my tia brought it back. I call it my tortillera shirt because it goes off the <laughs> it goes off, off the shoulder, the shoulder mm-hmm. and it's red and white and it's embroidered. I've been saving it for Cinco de Mayo just to be culturally ridiculous <laughs> all on my own. Me and Tapatio with his little sombrero. My dog's name's Tapatio. He has a teeny tiny sombrero. It's adorable. (laughs) But yeah, those things are beautiful. And I think you're right. There's, uh, at least for me, I appreciate those so much more now. When I was younger and had them, I was like, Mm -hmm. I will not because I'm going to look ethnic. I would have never worn that stuff when I was younger. It's because it was a a point of shame to be different. Like we, it was the 90s, like everybody was like assimilation was the thing. Like your goal was to kind of be neutral and not noticeable as somebody different. Like we're all equal. You needed we're to all blend in with everybody. Yeah. yeah. It was to blend in. And I feel like now people embrace like standing out culturally mm-hmm. as something that they can be proud of. And your point earlier from when you were in school about your collection, you taking a stance and it being vibrant and different. 
you know, we see this now, even as we're growing our own community. At the beginning, we weren't quite sure as we were finding our voice and we were kind of exploring different topics. And the audience response was very like, I mean, it was fine. It was, it was okay. But when Yvette runs our Brown Girls Rising Instagram, but when she started taking a stance, we saw our engagement shoot up. Like when we took a stand, we were like, no, this is us. We're not going to be palatable. Here's how we're different. And here's what we're doing. And this is what we're embracing about our own version, our own story, our own narrative and our own experiences. We saw our engagement shoot way up because people had an opportunity to decide whether they resonated with us or not. Right. Do you take a stand like on your social media about political things or I feel like your clothes is I mean, that's political. The, the mm-hmm. fist and the roses. It's like I'm Mexican and I'm here. I'm um, going back to my the school when, when I was going to fit them. I, I had to do all these projects. So when they told me to do a project of my collection, it was really different from the other girls. I remember a professor clearly telling me, telling me, um, this is not really what we're looking for. But then I started thinking like, wait, you just told me to express my creativity. And like I started kind of feeling bad. Like questioning it. Yeah. Like, oh. She doesn't really like the ruffles on these shirts. And this was back in 2009, 10. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I didn't feel like I, – I almost felt discouraged. Like, oh. Brene Brown often talks about in her books that people's creativity is almost always stifled by a shaming art experience growing up. And for most people, it happens in school very young. And that's why most adults, as she refers to it, most people go – how does she call it? She said, I don't do your ART. I have a J-O-B, mm-hmm. right? And people look down on art as not a real skill set or yeah. they look at it and they go, "Ugh, that's just, that's not like a valuable use of your time. When in fact, statistically speaking and psychologically speaking, our growth and our ability to cope are actually inhibited when we don't express creativity. To this point, we practice a personal Wednesday. I don't work on Wednesdays. Yvette doesn't work on Wednesdays anymore. I used to take a personal Wednesday. And then I realized that if the rest of the team is working, they will call me on Wednesday. So now nobody works on Wednesday. (laughs) It's my day. It's their day. And that's the day Yvette does her art. We do our Worthy Women event one Wednesday a month. And right now we're doing Brown Girls Rising recordings one Wednesday a month as well. But outside of that, we don't work. And Yvette does all of her illustrations, which is something that she's just gotten back into. And it has completely changed how she is at work. For the better. The product that she brings to work every day, the work that she does has dramatically improved. Not that that wasn't amazing before, but it's on a whole new level now. And it's especially noticeable the first day she comes back on Thursday because she's been creating and the way that her brain works, the patterns in which she sees things can be kind of constrained to one degree, but then she does creative things And literally the way that she explores problems has completely shifted, Hmm. right? Because she can see, visualize, creative solutions. You use different parts of your brain. And I was just talking to Maritza Lugo about this, who was already on the podcast, Minzy Mohan. She was talking about how people really don't pay and value artists. Because I was trying to go over that with her. I'm like, well, how do you make money doing illustrations? And she was like, I do on commissions. And then, you know, sometimes... Sometimes you get commissions. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you want to use, they want to use your art for like articles and things like that. And she posted something on Facebook yesterday, I believe, when I had first gone into Facebook in a while. And it was, it was the BuzzFeed. The BuzzFeed. It was like, 
like I'm not anybody to tell you that your art is bad, but it is it is not good. The BuzzFeed article. It was not good. And it's like they are paying somebody to do that because they don't want to pay a an actual like established artist. artist to do illustrations because that's not something that's valued. Hmm. And, and so, yeah. so they had a listicle, right? BuzzFeed put out a listicle of the nine things that happen when you first start start dating with somebody. Like the first time you fart in front of them, the first time you <laughs> take a dump in front of them, or they know that you've like right. that you've pooped, you number two <laughs> in their restroom. And like, what do you do? Like, oh my god, are they gonna smell this? The first time you like sleep together and you wake up with morning breath, all those like <laughs> awkward things of the first time with someone new. And it was hilarious. Except for the illustrations that were really, really bad. And if you looked at the illustrations, you didn't want to, like, open the article. They weren't engaging. Yeah. Is and that again, something that you found, like, with your art, creating art, like, people, like, devaluing? Oh. Because it's folk art. And I feel like in the strata of arts, folk art is at the very bottom of what is considered to be fine art. That's sad. I know. It's a travesty. I never thought of it that way. It is. Especially the form, because people don't even count that in like the in the entire canon of art. You never learn about really folk art. You learn Diego Rivera. You learn Frito. Yeah, you learn Picasso, who was like you know he was classically trained. All of them really were, but we don't really get a lot of the folk artists. It's it's scary to bring something out. I designed, I illustrated, I sketched this Dia de los Muertos couple. I don't know if you've seen it. It's it's a, it's a boy and a girl holding hands, and it's called Muerte Eterno. Mm. I made, I did that about three years ago and I wanted to release it, but I wasn't happy. I was like, oh, people are going to think it looks too childish or I don't know. You yeah. start thinking all this negativity and you almost start bringing yourself down. Okay, if I don't do it now, then it's, it's never. And you always have to put it out there to see people's reaction, people's feedback. 90%. Can I just tell you, it's 100% like that in business too. Yes. 90% mm -hmm. of the time, people are going to love it it's, if it's coming from the heart. You're always your worst critic. I, did, I mm -hmm. did an illustration. It actually did really well on social media, but I didn't like it because I'd worked on it already. And I just I put it out because I'm like doing this thing where like if I create something and even if I don't like it, I'm going to put it out there anyways because it will resonate with somebody probably. And it was... um. It was the three girls in hijab, like the different varying. Oh, I love that one. I hated it. I love your work. Thank oh, you. I think it's talented. very, it's beautiful. I hated that one because I thought the composition wasn't great because some yeah. of them were a little further apart. I need to start drawing on, on the computer. Yeah, we critique ourselves very yeah. much. And, and that's something I need to work on because I tell my fiance like, well, I don't I'm not going to release it. He's like, Why? Yeah. It's so good. Well, and we're going to love it. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yvette illustrated my birthday card and I framed it. That was the first time anybody's illustrated me. And it was so pretty. And it was pink. It was in my signature pink. <laughs> and I definitely, I immediately I did that went one in like 20 minutes. I was like, oh, it's just, I can't curse. <laughs> I was like, it's this bit. It's her birthday tomorrow. I know she wants to see herself on a card because oh, she's always that's like, my ego. Yeah. And you're always like, oh, like, interest. Oh, you do portraits? Oh, <laughs> like that? That's interesting. I immediately framed it. I think <laughs> low-key, we all like that. We, we like yeah. beautiful. Yeah. You know, even this, we were talking about how, how special it is when somebody has taken the time to create something uniquely for you, right? Mm -hmm. That that's a very special thing. It's like when somebody handwrites you a thank you card, right? Oh, yeah, and people don't do that anymore. See, I let do. me tell My you. mother raised me, Audrey right? Let me tell you something. I, I get so much orders. Mm -hmm. And 
people think that I have this intern working for me and doing all my thank you um, notes, but I handwrite all my thank you orders to the people. Like just yeah. for the Riva Las Mujeres, I got like, I don't know, like over 200 orders. I did 200 notes, handwritten. Same. And, and I get messages from people saying like, you actually said thank you to me, handwritten. Mm-hmm. And they feel so special. And that's how you connect with your clientele, your your customers. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I wish I could do more, but. It goes a long way. We it, do that after our events for our speakers, sponsors. Yeah. Uh, same thing. I sent I sent several hundred cards out after our national conference in November. I felt like it was a wedding. Like I spent an entire <laughs> week handwriting out thank you cards. But, you know, my mom always raised us to do that. And she always told us nobody ever has to do anything for you. If they have chosen to do something for you, you must the very least that you can do is acknowledge it and say thank you for taking the time to do something for me. And I'm very particular about my cards and I do them on Sundays. So depending on what's happened that week, whether we've done an event, somebody supported us in some way. I I, think it's beautiful. I think it's important. And you have a pretty loyal fan base. You have a big following. How many, how many followers do you have on Instagram? Um, like 20, 23, 24,000. I don't know. I, I really I try not to we're pay just, attention on I'm followers. Like, we're just trying to break two thousand over it's here. It's funny because my my fiance or my daughter would say, "Mom, you just hit twenty k or twenty two point something." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh, really? Did you just see your biggest growth like more recently when things started kind of ramping up, like politically and with like Latinos and people really taking a stand for the last year and a half? Yeah. And when I left my job, my full time job. Oh, girl, oh, I left nice. my job almost a year ago. Congratulations! This, yeah. yeah, to dedicate my real passion to. What design. were you doing before you? I was still designing for for a company. After I graduated from FIDM, I took this job to work for a big company, assist and develop and design. I was there for a lot of years, but I was just unhappy. It wasn't something that I was truly passionate about. So yeah. I took the lead. I I guess I was brave, and I mean, of course, with the encouragement of my my daughter and my my fiance, they said I they I, I felt like they believed in me more than I believed in my myself or in my brown. They're like, you know what? I think I think this is a good time for you to take off and do it. Well, I mean, I, it doesn't hurt to try. I I agree with you. We we definitely were like that. I remember when Worthy Women started with our first few events. And I was consulting at the time. And I remember I gave notice for my consulting client and I asked them to buy me out of my contract. And I remember turning to Yvette and I said, I'm just going to jump in both feet. Are you, do you want to jump with me? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and every day I think I ask Yvette, do you want to jump with me today? And I'm like, yeah. And when we, we started this podcast and I pitched this podcast, I hadn't. I wanted to strangle you. I was looking at her across the table. I was like, stop adding things to my schedule. Yeah, we literally, we were in a meeting and I just, off the cuff, I had started talking about Brown Girls Rising. We'd secured the domains and the social and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. But I knew that that name was sticky. Brown Girls Rising made me think of me, made me think of Yvette, made me think of us. And I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but something's going to come out of it. And we're in this meeting and I'm talking about brown girls rising i'm a brown girl blah 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 and then i was like you know what we're gonna do a podcast called brown girls rising and you're gonna partner with us and yvette looks at me like she's gonna like jump up from the table and kill me and then that we end the meeting and i go 
all right, it's time to do a podcast. And she goes, I have never done a podcast. We don't know jack squat about a podcast. We don't know anything about this. What have you done? And I'm like, we'll just have to figure it out. Do you want to jump with me? I don't actually, I didn't ask her if she wanted to jump with me. I just assumed. Yeah. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to be on that podcast. And look at how good it is. Most of the time when I've asked you to jump, you have survived. No knees have been broken. Not yet. yet. (laughs) We're not breaking knees. But I think to some degree, to get back to what you were saying, all the time, same thing for worthy women. We had the same thing from other people telling us, you're onto something. There's something here. Um, And we heard it from our audience because they wanted more and more of it, right? So that was encouraging, even when we didn't have necessarily the the foresight or the confidence to move forward with it, everybody around us was telling us, you need to. Brown Girls Rising, same thing. We've had incredibly positive reception, which has been heartwarming. Speaking of your fist, when we tell people we're Brown Girls Rising or our podcast is called Brown Girls Rising, what does that make you think of? Like 99% of the time, somebody will raise their hand back to me and say, me, I'm a brown girl rising. And literally they do this with a fist and they raise it, right? So I don't think we need to ask if you identify as a brown girl. We see you. Brown, <laughs> brown and proud Mexicana, 110% Mexicana. Love, love, love it. So, Jessica, where can people find you? You guys can find me at uh, Raggedy Tiff Instagram, uh, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter. They're all the same. And Raggedy is two Gs. Yes, R-A-G-G-E-D-Y-T-I-F-F. And I'm at Audrey Bellis. And I'm at Yvette, actually. This has been Brown Girls Rising. Bye. This episode of Brown Girls Rising was brought to you by Nylon Espanol and recorded at Maker City LA in sunny downtown Los Angeles. We hope it's inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time. 